Hello, and welcome to the Recovery Matters podcast from CCAR, the podcast where putting recovery first is always the goal. Here we present interviews, discussions, stories, and speeches to cultivate the understanding and acceptance of the power, hope, and healing of recovery from alcohol and other addictions. Here are your hosts, Phil and Sandy Valentine. Hi, Phil. Um, hello, Sandy. I'm pretty excited that you're wearing both Orca and Yukon today. I got Jonathan the Husky. Yeah. Yep. Mm. My alma mater in your place of employment. And my, I am a Husky too now. So tell me how impressed you are with me. I'm so impressed. <laughs> because I... We picked up our new camper today, which was eight feet longer than the current one and yes. seemingly six feet taller. Yeah. And you drove it all the way home, which was 35 minutes, and you backed it into the driveway like a pro. I had been doing it all my life, right? And you were backing around another trailer. And I just got lucky. Oh, I thought it was talent for a yeah, change. Yeah, I know. But, but you're, better to be lucky than good. You're a pretty lucky guy because you've built a team that is oh. pretty fortunate to work with. And we have one of those team members with us today. Yeah, a newer team member. Craig, would you like to say hi? Hello, everyone. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Phil. Thanks for doing? doing this for with us today. You're welcome. Oh, yeah. Um, willing to tell your story, I'm sure. Yes, well, that's absolutely. Cool. I appreciate that a lot. Hey, you know who I heard recently? I was listening to Brene Brown's podcast. Yeah. That's not really cheating on our podcast to do that. <laughs> and she asked the person, so tell me about little so-and-so. And I was like, that's what we ask. She took it from us. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's what I think. I think Brene Brown's been stalking us. <laughs> we should. We should. We have a bone to pick with Brene. I could, I could dream that she <laughs> would stalk us, but we usually do start with hearing a little bit about what your childhood was like. Mm -hmm. Who'd you grow up? Siblings. Well, we didn't. I would like uh, you to talk talk to us about what you do now. Sure. Car. Yeah. What's yeah. your role? So I was hired back in January of this year uh, for the uh, Department of Correction. Uh, recovery coach uh, position, um, which with my background from my previous job, I really thought I was going to get hired for the emergency department because mm -hmm. that's my background. However, my higher power has me on different assignment and I'm in the prison system working with the community and uh, just planting seeds of hope and, uh, you know, getting a lot of referrals for our coaches on uh, my team on the outside. And it's just it's it's an awesome thing. It's, it's really an awesome thing. You know, I feel like I'm really doing my higher powers work. Mm -hmm. I really do. That's awesome. So what was your background? Why do you, why are you saying you should have been in the emergency department? Well, and I, honestly, I'm like grateful uh, that I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> um, because most of my life I spent in emergency medicine. Mm. Um, I was in the military for almost nine years doing that. And then 17 and a half years working in Hartford. Uh, on an ambulance. Mm. Um, so that's where I thought that I was going to go. But the way I like to say things is you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. Mm -hmm. um, and now I have a schedule that's Monday through Friday, a job that I love getting up in the morning and going to. Um, and it's just, yeah, I, I really like it. And I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm where I am now. What was little Craig like? All right. So um, I was born in Derby, Connecticut. I was born at Griffin Hospital because uh, my dad was from Mansonia and happened to be uh, at my grandmother's house for Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, my mother went into labor 
early on Thanksgiving Day. And 16 hours later, as she used to remind me all the time, um, I was born at 10.05 at night. Um, and then we went to New Britain, um, where my mother, uh, her family was. And from there, they were, we were staying at my grandmother's house and grandfather's house. And then we got an apartment. Um, and then, let's see, my earliest childhood memory was probably at the YMCA. And I was wearing a float. And I got pushed off the high end of the dive. And it was like, sink or swim. <laughs> so, but I was part of the polywog program. And that was just how it was back then, I guess. I don't know. Um, but that was my earliest memory. Yeah, getting pushed off a the high, high dive. diving board? Yeah, it was like a big platform that they had. And it was all the kids were up there. I mean, it was safe. I mean, they had, you know, I guess it was safe. I don't know, you know. But they had lifeguards and such. And it was just kind of a... You know, like I said, sink or swim kind of thing. Indoor or outdoor? It was indoors. It was in New Britain. Well, and then he comes in. Well, what, do you remember what you've, did you enjoy it or were you terrified? I, initially a little bit scared. Yeah. But at, I, pretty quickly I just, you know, like a fish to water. No pun intended. <laughs> Foreshadowing uh, of your future life in the Navy. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I love the water. Um, I used to scuba dive. I haven't been scuba diving in a while, but um, the ocean is something that's very, very near and dear to me and mm -hmm. very relaxing yeah what were you like as a kid um i was a little crazy a little little wild um i had two younger brothers um which ended up me being the person that kind of took on the role of you know trying to help them but at the same time you know if getting bullied in school i used to fight a lot um, but it wasn't me starting the fights it was i was getting picked on and my brothers would get picked on and stuff, and um, so I just used to fight a lot, um, and my dad was not happy about that. What did you get picked on for? I don't know. To be honest with you, I think it was just because I was a fairly easygoing kid. I was pretty skinny, um, and it just, I, I don't know. It was kids being mean. You know, there wasn't anything that I really remember. Like, I, yeah, you I, know, I didn't have any kind of, you know off clothing or you know it's just I don't know but as I grew into that role of kind of being the defender of my brothers um, kids started to mess with me less so I really didn't have that issue after maybe like fifth grade wow. so I remember being on both sides of that coin I used to pick on kids and kids picked on me and I still don't know why I don't know what it is about kids and why we, why they do that mm -hmm. did you become a good fighter Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Practice makes yeah. perfect. Mm -hmm. There was there was the the, the defining moment uh, of my fighting career uh, was this one kid who used to pick on my brother. He's in the same grade as I was, and there was an older kid that just egged me on for whatever reason that day. So I just remember I'm swinging on this kid, and I get a hand on my back, and I'm flying through the air. Well, it was this kid's mom who lived a couple houses down. She dragged me into her house and wanted me to sign something to say that I wouldn't fight her son anymore. Hmm. I almost threw a, a chair through the front window, and I, I was able to get out of the house, and I ran down the street, and my dad was a cop. <laughs> so I run in the house, and he's like, what is going on with you? And I'm like, and I explained. And so she comes to the door, and she's like, do you know what your son does? And blah, you know, this, that, and the other. And he's like, lady, do you know what I do for work? 
And she's mm-hmm. like, no, what do you I'm a police officer. And it just never had any problems with that kid ever again. How old were you? Uh, let's see. So fifth grade, uh, what, 11, 12 years old? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. So move along. So I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of kids. Um, we had a lot of bikes. We had a lot of outdoor stuff that we did, you know, sports and other things like that. Um, we used to sneak out of the house at night sometimes. <laughs> um, but we would do stuff because we, we grew up listening to a lot of neighbors and my dad's friends, Vietnam vets, mm-hmm. you know, talk. They didn't really get into their stories, but, you know, just talking about their time in the military. Um, and then even some of them had things that we took with us to go out in the woods. So like olive drab fatigues and, and hats and, you know, playing army. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's what we did. In what town? In New Britain. Yeah. There are woods in New Britain. There are woods. There's a lot of woods. You'd be surprised. We uh, we we probably trampled over every single part of Stanley Woods, um, which is near home school and A.W. Stanley Park. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, we built a little fort. We did fires at night. Um, I don't know how we never got caught. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you take taking a lot of risks for a cop, son. Uh, yeah, we did some things you know like bb gun wars and you know firework wars oh yeah bb gun wars yeah that's painful only if you get hit yeah yeah so so in all these wild times were was alcohol involved in any of it uh it was for my parents Mm -hmm. um my mom wasn't a huge drinker at the time growing up um my dad he was but it was it was kind of spaced out a lot of times um you know he was a cop and cops, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was a work thing. Hard, you know, work hard. hard, party hard kind of thing. Um, you know, and at times he would get, um, you know, just mouthy, you know, verbally kind of, you know, yelling or whatever. But it wasn't that bad initially, like as far as growing up. Um, we did, I took a lot of the heat for a lot of this stuff for as far as my brothers would borrow tools and not put them back. So, you know, I would catch a beating for that. And, um, you know, more often than not, it was a belt or a hand to the backside. Wow. Um, which was only funny one time because during the wintertime, I don't know what I had done, but I knew I was in trouble. And I was wearing long johns. So I had taken some of my mother's, like, People magazines and Newsweek magazines and stuffed them in my long johns. Mm-hmm. Well, this time my father decided to spank me with his hand versus the belt. <laughs> so he swings, bam, ah, you know, and cursing up a storm. Um and he thought it was funny. And he's like, well, well, you know, good thinking. It's like, you're still getting, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I still got spanked like three times with the belt. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, alcohol didn't become anything really for me until I was like 17, I think. I was in high school. Um, and it was just, I was on the football team. So, you know, we might, you know, have some beers or whatever on the weekends. Um, but it wasn't a major part of my life at all. Um, my concentration was I wanted to get out and see the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's when I went to the Navy, which mm-hmm. led into also, you know, working hard and then also partying hard. So what tell, was no, that sorry. experience like for you? What's that? Joining the Navy. Um, it was awesome. Like, I really had, I mean, of course, you have the, you know, times you got to mop the floor or wax or, you know, do silly work like that. Mm-hmm. But I got to do a lot of great things. I got to visit a lot of great countries. Um, I got to do a lot of fun stuff. I didn't get to jump out of airplanes, but I got to do uh, 
fast roping and rappelling out of helicopters um, onto the back of ships, uh, just on land. I mean, it was just really some high-speed stuff that Mm -hmm. was really cool for me. You know, I'm 19, 20, 21, doing all this stuff, and it's just like, wow, you know. Um, What kind of ship did you serve on? I was on the USS Abraham Lincoln. It was an aircraft carrier. Wow. Yeah. So for the two years I was there, my first year I was what's called the Assistant Damage Control Petty Officer um, for my division, for the medical division, where we're responsible for all the firefighting uh, apparatus, you know, as far as extinguishers, hoses, connections, all that stuff. Um, And then from there, I was one of four uh, flight deck corpsmen. So I was on the day shift from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And just you know, we're out and about on the flight deck while helicopters are launching and airplanes, jets, and stuff like that. So it's uh, one of the most dangerous places to work in the world. And it was 100% fun. Wow. I mean, did, it's dangerous, but, you know, it's... <laughs> did the having the authoritative role that um, you have to assume in the Navy, did that bother... Or, I mean, other people, what am I trying to say, Phil? (laughs) So, like, being in that kind of disciplined environment, was that a struggle? No. No, actually, it wasn't. Um, Following orders. That was the Following orders. Uh, No, because I pretty much followed orders all my life. Mm -hmm. My dad, you know, again, being an officer. Yeah. um, I actually, (laughs) it's funny, I'll go back to that. So, one time, it was after a football game, and I was dropping my friends off. And, you know, they live in different parts of... New Britain. So one particular area, I dropped my friend off. And then the following day, my dad's like, so what were you doing? And he was a detective. So he asked me this question like 18 different ways. Mm-hmm. Kind of like being a coach, asking good questions. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but he kept asking me, what did I do last night? And I just explained and, and we went to the football game, got pizza, and then I dropped off my friends. Well, who'd you drop off? Where'd you drop them off to? And I'm like, where is he going with this? Well, unbeknownst to me was... That area where I dropped my friend off to go home was a high crime area and high drug area. Well, they had it under surveillance. So they saw my dad's car pull to the side of the road, this person get out, run across the street, and then I take off. So they thought it was something that, you know. You were involved. Yeah, that I was involved in in something. Which I wasn't. Yeah. Because I was scared of my father, (laughs) you know. So, you know. How many years were you out on on the carrier? How long did you serve? So I was there for two years. Yeah. Um, I was in for a total of almost nine between uh, active duty and the reserves. Um, I also spent some time with the Marines mm-hmm. um, because the Marine Corps does not have their own medical personnel. And so they get that from the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent you know a year over in Okinawa um, and then just involved with various units uh, otherwise like temporarily assigned and stuff like that. So, And we had a Marine detachment aboard the aircraft carrier, so I did a lot of stuff with them too. Yeah, I was just kind of bouncing around in the service, doing this, doing that. And then um, my brother um, was in a bad accident at work. Um, he had spun the wheel on the forklift too fast. And so when it flipped over, the cage had come and uh, put enough pressure on his chest to stop him breathing and stop his heart. Ooh. So this was 1998, and my mom was going to quit her job. My dad was going to quit his job because they didn't know if he was going to, you know, first they didn't know he was going to make it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the doctors were saying that he's going to have brain damage because of, you know, the anoxic brain injury. Um, He also couldn't use his left arm. 
Um, he had short-term memory loss. So, you know, where you and I could put on water for spaghetti, mm-hmm. um, he could do that, but then he would forget. forget. Yeah. Um, so I got out of active duty um, in an emergency uh, situation. And this was back in 98, and they were letting people out left and right anyway. Yeah. So it wasn't that hard for me to get out. And then um, so I came home, stayed for a while, helped him, and he got better. Like, it was just amazing how he got better. Hmm. It was just, it was a miracle. It really was. Because they didn't think he was ever going to be able to use his arm. They mm-hmm. didn't think he'd ever be able to be left alone. Um, so it was just that short time frame of a couple months, things were coming back. Like, the feeling in his arms. He was able to move his fingers and such. So um, I went to Florida. Because <laughs> I had friends that I was in the service with. And they're like, yeah, you should come down here, Doc, and, you know, hang out, blah, blah, blah. So um, I did that, um, and that's kind of when I got into my wilder scene of going out to the clubs and partying while I wasn't working and stuff and drinking a lot, and um, I was just letting loose until uh, March 25th of 2000, or actually March 24th, when um, my father had retired from the police department, and the night before... Um, they, they had a great party, had a good time. Um, and then I get the phone call from my brother. Mom's in the hospital, doesn't look good. Wow. And she was 49 years old. Well, unbeknownst to me, their drinking ramped up after I left. Um, and I, I mean, I, I, I kind of recognized that it did, but I, I guess I didn't pay it enough attention. I was more worried about me being out and about and traveling and all this other stuff. Um, I didn't know it had gotten to that level. Um, so my mom, I, I was able to get an emergency flight up. And then the, uh, the next day, we just took her off the uh, life support. Wow. What happened? Um, what they think is that she had an aneurysm uh-huh. and that she fell and hit her head either on the toilet or the bathtub. So... Um, when I came home, and, and you know, my father, the house was a mess. It was just, it was a mess. Um, alcohol had obviously taken a huge, huge, um, made a huge impact on them. And so trying to deal with my father, you know, he was a basket case. You know, it's it was kind of crazy because I'm like, oh, look at this guy who's, I've always looked at strong, you know, hard, mm-hmm. uh, nothing phases him kind of thing. Well, I didn't know how much he was suffering from addiction, you know, and I didn't even recognize that until maybe a couple of years ago. Wow. You know, I was angry at them for a while for that. Um, so I stayed for a couple of weeks, went back to Florida, and then I get another phone call that my father's in the hospital. And so I came back up um, August 1st, and uh, he passed away August 8th. Wow. And again, so they're both both 49 years old. Um, His was just the ammonia levels, his liver, and just, yeah, he was just shot, just shot. And so I was angry about that for a while, Um, and that affected my addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wasn't a daily drinker, but when I did drink, it was, you know, I was pretty pretty much on fire. (laughs) I didn't have an off switch. Um, I remember you sharing with me about understanding what I just went through a couple months ago with mm-hmm. both my parents passing well within 48 hours of each other divorced 40 years passed within 48 but 
They were 88 and 87, mm -hmm. not 49. Right. And how old were you at the time? 27. 27. Oh. 27. Mm. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, like, you always think your parents are going to be there. Oh, yeah. You know? And yeah. I'm, I'm out enjoying the world. I'm, you know, I've been to Australia. I've been to Hong Kong. I've been to Singapore. I've been to Hawaii a couple mm -hmm. times, you know? Mm -hmm. living, living it up. And then all that. Wow, I'm sorry. No, thank you. That's, yeah, and, and how did your brothers, re well, how did you respond? You said your addiction ramped up. How did your brothers yeah. respond? Um, my middle brother, probably about the same. Mm -hmm. um, my younger brother's never really had an issue. Um, he might have a which couple one, of years. Which one had the accent, the middle or the Chris, younger? the middle one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I know he struggled. Um, my brother, Kevin, not so much. Um, he, it was, he's never been a big drinker. Um, which I'm glad for, mm -hmm. <laughs> at least one of us, one out of three. Right, right. Um, but the other part of it, too, was there, I know, I felt like that there was some animosity, maybe not so much for my younger brother, but maybe my middle brother, because mm -hmm. when I moved back up here, nobody was doing anything. Like, nobody was talking to an attorney. Nobody was, you know, there was a lot of stuff that goes with two people passing away, yes. as you know. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of stuff you got to deal with. And if they're not ready which who's ready at age 49, Right. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. a lot of stuff to deal with. And nobody wanted to take, you know, charge. And then my aunt, um, my mom's sister wanted to take charge. And I was just like, no, no, I love you, but no, I I'll do it. Um, but that, I think, created some animosity because, um, you know, I didn't have a good relationship with my brothers for a bunch of years mm -hmm. because of all the stuff that had happened with, my parents' house. Yeah. You know, and then with the cars and then jewelry and just, just all sorts of stuff. And I'm not a materialistic person, but when certain things are missing that you're like, where is this stuff? Like, who came and grabbed something? And, you know, it's just, in the long run, it's just material stuff and it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. But at that time, I didn't have that coping skill of, you know, being able to kind of manage that. One of the things that I've learned is that when you're walking through grief, sometimes the ability to direct all your anger at things like that, mm -hmm. it, it's just a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, I can't direct my anger at the person that just left me. So I'm going to direct it at you because, you know, you took the gold bracelet when you were supposed to have the silver one <laughs> or whatever it is. Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. I deliberately choose that when I'm going through a tough time. I find something safe to be mad at. In that case, it was your brother's. Maybe not so safe, but yeah, no, I try to find safe. a safe a safe object for all that negative emotion. Yeah, I do that now, mm -hmm. but I I didn't know enough. I didn't know any better back then. So yeah, yeah. So after you're dealing with all this, what happens to you? Um. So I um. I just kind of, I don't know, I was lost, honestly. I really was. Were you, um, you stayed in Connecticut? Or did I stayed in Connecticut. Um, I was initially staying with my middle brother, but that just didn't work out very well. Mm -hmm. um, so I had moved back into my parents' house. And you are working the whole time? Actually, no. I didn't get a job until October. Mm -hmm. um, and it was uh, I was a security supervisor working subcontracted through the state, uh, doing armed and unarmed security. Um, and it was kind of a mindless job, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, but it was something to do. Um, and in the meantime, what I was doing was I was going through my parents' house, and I was tearing stuff out. 
Like I was throwing out old couches, old chairs. You know, I had got a uh, a dumpster. I was just I was whipping stuff out because it just I it was just garbage. Like mm-hmm. the house was a wreck. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, fast forward a couple years and I met um, my son's mother, who came at me when I was at a time where I just if I had. Like, if I was n- normal, you know, and I had my awareness about me, I never would have gotten involved in the relationship because that's just been really, really hard over the years. Um, and I would go out and I would drink to deal with that, mm-hmm. you know. So that created other issues, obviously, with, you know, she's thinking I'm cheating on her and doing all this other stuff. And I'm like, no, I just don't want to be anywhere around you. <laughs> um, so that, that yeah, just <laughs> that's how I felt. Um, <laughs> um, Are you trying to tell me something? No. Okay. So, uh, you know, and work was work. I, I was working a lot of hours. I've always worked a lot of hours, which also did not play well into me handling my addictions and my life and managing stuff. And, um, you know, when you're working and you're, I'm not going to say every day, like I'm seeing somebody that's shot or stabbed or whatever, but it was, I saw enough of that. Plus just, you know, the general stress of, you know, you're going into someone's home. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, whether they know it or not, they are, when they call 911, they're inviting you into their home. Mm-hmm. They're inviting you into their situation. And they're inviting you to take control of the situation. Mm-hmm. So at this whether, point, you're a paramedic? Uh, no, I was an EMT. An EMT. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I had done the class for the, uh, what was called then, uh, EMT Intermediate. Um, which in certain states we could do certain cardiac drugs and mm-hmm. the monitor and whatever else. Connecticut, it's very limited, um, but I still kept it up because it was, you know, I like learning and, you know, but I just didn't want to do the paramedic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I had tossed that idea around a couple times, but it just wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, so back in 2006 or so, I separated. I was never married to my son's mother and we separated. Um, and that was a that was a hot mess too. Um, but then I met my wife um, shortly thereafter, and uh, she got pregnant. <laughs> we weren't married, um, and she thought it was well. The doctor had thought it was a tumor initially. <laughs> it ended up being Ashley, <laughs> which is my she, actually her birthday is tomorrow. She'll be thirteen. Wow. Um, so um, she was a tumor too. Yeah, I was my mom's. I was my mom's fifth kid, and she really. didn't figure out she was pregnant for five months because she thought she had a tumor. So I used to start off my twelve-step story with my low self-esteem started in the womb. My mother thought I was a tumor. Mm-hmm. It's so. not a tumor, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, mm-hmm. wasn't a tumor. It was me. Yeah. Well, I'm sure Phil's glad you're here. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm glad you weren't a tumor, too. Yeah. 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 So, you're still drinking? And Ashley's born. Ashley's born. Um, so, I wasn't like a daily drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, my thing was I could go a couple weeks, I could go a couple months. But then I like to say it's, uh, if you remember the old Daffy Duck cartoon, you know, pouring gunpowder down your throat and nitroglycerin and then uranium-238 and then mm-hmm. with this match. Mm-hmm. Well, that was me every couple weeks. Um, so I didn't start out being like really mean and rude and stuff like that, but it got to the point in later years where that's what it was. It was just like, I want to drink to escape, 
because I had no, I, I just felt like I didn't have anybody to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though I had friends at work, it just, when you don't, you, you know, you just don't want to share your inner thoughts and your yeah. inner feelings and your frustrations and your whatever the case may be. So I'd be on my front porch, you know, reading my book, smoking and drinking, you know, and that's kind of what I would do. Um, but then there were times too where I'd, you know, walk down the street to the bar and, you know, then walk back. It's amazing um, to think, well, I've never heard, maybe I've heard it, but it resonates with me when you said, I felt like I didn't have anyone to talk to. Right. That, there's a lot in that state, statement. Because I know you n- now to be... You like chatty. Yeah, you like to chat. I do like to talk now. So, but to to feel like you don't have anyone to talk to, mm-hmm. that's really almost very selfish in a lot of ways, too, to think like... think of, Because I relate to that. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, why would I ever go to the point where I felt like I didn't have anyone to talk to and that's just isolation right mm-hmm. it's a symptom of isolation where our disease wants to isolate us right. and make us well no one wants to talk to me and I don't want to talk to anyone so F right. it you know and I'm just this is good I'll drink I'll smoke I'll sit here and read my book and see a, see a world exactly and that's how it was Wow. You know, and it was a lot of stuff too, where you know, where my wife would ask me, and I, I wish that I'd opened up back then when she had asked me, like, mm-hmm. you know, how was your day? And I'm like, you don't really want to know how my day went. You know, do you want me to tell you about the the, the small child that I was doing CPR, carrying out of the apartment, mm-hmm. trying to, you know, that died? You know what I mean? Like, there's that just a lot of stuff. Like, that sounds like you see that in a lot of TV shows. Mm-hmm. You know, where the marriage is the the wife wants to talk to the husband about what, and then the husband says it almost exactly that. Do you really want me to tell you about your day? You don't want to hear about my day. Right. Yeah. But she did. She yeah. did want to hear about it. Yeah. You know, but I wasn't I wasn't open to it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't willing, you know, and I wasn't being, you know, honest with myself at all. It was just, you know, it's funny, you know, honesty, open mindedness and willingness. Well I didn't have any of that. Hmm. Um <laughs> which is different now. Mm-hmm. Um but it was you know, it, it, it definitely put a big strain on our relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And so my wife, um, again, fast forward a couple of years because it was just like I'd have my bouts of, you know, drinking a couple of days in a row. Um, we ended up buying a house. Um, and then a year and a half later, my wife became a citizen. And then two oh, days. Wait, oh, okay, so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm glossing over stuff. Fast forward. Jump, jump over. Your wife became a citizen. Where is she from? Oh, yeah. So she's from Peru. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, I, I jokingly tell people that I got her in a mail order bride catalog, mm-hmm. um, but it just happened to be where uh, we met, where I had left my son's mother, and I was staying with my brother and his girlfriend up in the third floor of this house, mm-hmm. and my wife had moved in with her son. And her parents, her parents had already been there, but she was divorced, so she was living on the second floor. Huh. So her and my brother's girlfriend at the time were friends, and it just, she would, we'd see each other in passing. Wow. You know. And, and you bought a house together. Yeah. And so, all right, continue. Yeah, sorry, I jumped over you. No, I, I was just like, no. Where'd you go? No, my wife became a citizen. Okay. <laughs> um. And then two days later, um, 
my daughter, my youngest daughter was at a uh, birthday party and it was less than a mile from the house and I was, I had been drinking. And I don't know to this day why I got in the car um, and went to go pick her up. And then coming back to the house, I uh, got into an accident and I got a DUI, got arrested. Um, and then the next day I went to the hospital where I met my recovery coach. And my recovery coach got me to a rehab place in Rhode Island. Uh, six days into that, the first was six it a days. Was a C car recovery coach? Or? It was a C car recovery coach. Who was it? Uh, do we have to say? No, I'm just kidding. No, Dominic. No, it's Dominic. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to blow his head up too much more. Oh, no, I know. <laughs> no, he's um, the best thing about that is the fact that not only was he my recovery coach, um, but has now since become not only my one of my best friends, mm -hmm. but we're also coworkers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You was her, your daughter, was she hurt or not hurt? Uh, she had some marks on her face from oh. the airbag. Yeah. Um, and, oh, and actually I'll tell you the whole story with what happened that night. Um, so I got arrested. They released me. Uh, I don't know how long after. And when I got back to the house, everybody's, of course, upset and yelling at me and everything else. So I took off. Mm -hmm. I ran. Yeah. I would have. Um, I don't blame you. And it was, I ran to, you know, I don't know how far the bar is, but I mean, it was a bar restaurant. And my wife found me there, brought me back home. And there was more yelling and screaming and upset. So I went to a bar further away. <laughs> um, sounds logical. Yeah. Only for us in recovery, yeah, that sounds logical. Because <laughs> I, I, I was pretty much very, very upset with myself. And mm -hmm. how could I do this? And, and yeah. that's this isn't me. And, I, you know, it was just, there were so many emotions. And... So I went to the bar um, and got blackout drunk because um, I don't remember how I got home um, other than my wife telling me that uh, one of the police officers that knew me, they brought me home and it's just like, what is going on? You know, is he okay? Like I've never ever seen him like this because I hit my drinking pretty well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I did, you know, I've had friends that, you know, like, oh my God, like, you know, if I'd only known, I'm like, no. Mm. I didn't want you to know. I didn't yeah. want you to know. That's why <laughs> you didn't know. I was very good at it. In fact, uh, Phil's sister, who I was friends with, thought I was pretending to be an alcoholic when I got into recovery so that I'd fit in with his his group. Now, I am gotcha. codependent, but not that codependent. Gotcha. gotcha. But, it, but I had the same ability. I hit, hid. wasn't so much that I didn't drink with people, but the minute I felt that I was going to be drunk, I got the heck out of there. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so so the way so where did Dominic find you? He found me at Middlesex Hospital. Yeah, because um, I wanted to go to a hospital where nobody knew me, mm -hmm. which backfired. <laughs> you, in, in, the EMS world is very small in Connecticut, yeah. and you know so. Um, Why did you go to the hospital? Because I knew that my life was a mess. Oh, so you went you went to for. For help, I did you help. know you were an alcoholic? Did you use that term, or I never used that term. Yeah, um, I I went through most of my life, you know, being very prideful. Mm -hmm. like nobody's going to break me. You're not, you know, I don't care Alcohol what you say. Alcohol's me. not going to break me. I got this. You know, yeah. all the, you know, things that we tell ourselves about, you know, trying to reason with our disease that just never mm -hmm. pans out, never works out well. Um, and I don't even. Yeah, not even that day that I went to the hospital did I refer to myself as an alcoholic. I just knew that I needed help, and I couldn't do it on my own. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I had never heard of CCAR. What did you need help for, though? Did you even know that? Just I you think, were a mentally emotional mess, or was, yes. was it physical? Uh, it was mentally and emotionally a mess, yeah, yeah. a hot mess. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a lot of stuff that I just, feelings and emotions that I didn't know like how to deal with them and I didn't even like properly recognize them. Yeah, I'm surprised with all your EMT experience all those years that you brought yourself to a hospital. Yeah. Huh. You would have, I've had people say like, you know, why didn't you know better before? No, not that part, the part right. that. Oh, as far as that, to go that get help? Go like to an emergency part or something to get help for that, but I don't know. If, a lot of people think that the emergency department is the place to go for like an emotional or mental or crisis of some kind. Oh, it was definitely emotional crisis. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely well, emotional crisis. I, mean, I think that's good for you. Yeah. And uh, it took a lot. It, it really took a lot. The, you know, you talk about being in the Navy and the EMT and you've had to demonstrate bravery probably many times. and demonstrate uh, courage, but that was a pretty courageous move you made that morning. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it took a lot. It did. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't before that my, because my aunt, <laughs> she's like, make sure he has a couple nips before he goes in so they take him serious. And I'm like, and I've heard that before. And I was just like, yeah, okay. So my last drink was uh, December 9th, 2019, mm -hmm. and it was four nips of Crown Royal. Mm -hmm. um, you might as well get the good stuff. Yeah, that's what that's what I was saying. I didn't want to get the ninety nine cent ones. I was like, nah, if I'm going to sit here and you know be in the hospital, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was. I was desperate. Um, I was emotionally drained. I was just. I couldn't believe what I had done. I couldn't believe where I was oh. at in my life. It was just raging emotions, and it was. The best way to describe it, I think, was like a hundred different hamsters going a hundred different directions at a hundred miles an hour, mm -hmm. and that was my not only my head, but it was my heart. Yeah. Well, I, see, and this is the paradox, right? That you are a dedicated man of service, right? That's um, helping people in their time of need. You're available. You're reliable. You're dependable, and then you. You hop in a car and um, get in an accident and your daughter, who you adore, is in the car and all of that just explodes like that other imagery you were putting because they're in such contradiction of each other. And, they're, and a lot of people think it's either or, that now you must be a, a bad man because I, right. it's not. It's a both and. That's what addiction does. Mm -hmm. You can be a great person of service and person in the community. Do this thing because of the disease or the alcohol or whatever and have this thing happen. That doesn't make you a bad person. Right. It makes it a really tragic and unfortunate event that you use to propel you into a life of recovery. Yeah. yeah. I did the same thing with... How could I sit in the birthing room of Brockville General Hospital holding my first newborn newborn child mm -hmm. wildly strung out on cocaine? How could that happen? Right. You know, to me, you know, upstanding citizen. <laughs> <laughs> but I used that down the road to propel me into a life of recovery that's approaching 35 years and 23 years at CCAR, who, like you mentioned earlier before about 
who the, the higher power has a plan that I know very little about. Very much so. Just very blessed to, to live it. Mm-hmm. So what did it look like on December 10th for you? Uh, all right. So December 9th, um, actually, um, Dominic had come to the emergency department. And I had surrendered to God back in 1997, but I had lost my way because I'm with my parents' stuff. I just mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. I still believed in God. I would still pray sometimes, but um, I, I I was not <laughs> I was backsliding uh, Christian, mm-hmm. uh, basically for lack of a better way to say it. Um, but December 10th was me traveling to the rehab place at like I think it was. 2 in the morning, 2.30 in the morning, whatever it was. I got there at 4.30 in the morning. Um, the person who met me at the facility was very nice, very calm, checked me in and everything. Um, Where'd you go or do you want to say? I, I could say. I yeah. went to AdCare in Rhode Island. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I slept. I slept a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Tired. Yeah. No, I was beat. Like, it was just, like, it was finally, like, I'm caught. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if I, I'm finally somewhere Almost where... Like a relief. Yes, it was yeah. a huge relief. Yeah. It was a huge relief. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I had some very good caregivers um, that I'm actually still in contact with. Um, one of them, uh, Holly, she made sure that when she was on duty, she would always, you know, come in and check, make sure I'm still breathing. <laughs> uh, save, me, save me lunch and stuff like that or dinner or whatever the case. Um, and... So that's six days of, you know, you got to go to meetings, you got to go to commitments, and now you got to do this. And I was like, oh, like I just want to run. I just want to run. I don't want to be here. I want to run. Um, had you ever been to a meeting prior to this? No, I had never been. Wow. Never been. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's the thing, too. Like, I, I, I've been helping people with, you know, addiction issues for most of my adult life. But I didn't know what I didn't know about addiction mm-hmm. until I faced my own. Mm-hmm. You know, so I could be compassionate toward people. I could be loving toward people, you know, unless it was my family, which I was miserable a lot of times because of all the hours I was working. So, you know, my family would be like, oh, let's go to the store. Let's go do this. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to be around anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that was part of it, too. Was I was not a good person even when I wasn't drinking um, sometimes, especially with my family. I was just mean, um, which is not me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I didn't know enough to change or didn't want to change or, you know, again, being prideful. Um, so six days into uh, the rehab, there was a gentleman that was talking. And the story that he said was that he was in a room full of people and the person at the front was drew a picture of a boat. And then he walked around the room and he gave everyone two straws. And so they're all trying to figure out, like, what's what are these straws for? So he tells them and says, listen, with each straw... It gets you a seat on the boat. You can do what you want with them. You can keep them. You can give them away. Whatever you want to do. I'm going to leave the room for a couple minutes, let you decide, and then I'll come back. So the instructor, the gentleman comes back and looks around. He, so he asks him, where, where are your straws? Oh, well, uh, I gave one straw to that pregnant lady and, uh, you know, because I, I, I care. You know, I want her to live. You know, she's got a baby and stuff. And he's like, well, what would you do with the other straw? Oh, I gave it to that guy over there. You know, I, I think he needs it. And the guy said, "Well, I, I don't want. I'm not going to curse." But he said, "BS." He's like, "You don't love yourself." Mm-hmm. And then he just went into this thing about, you know, you had two chances to get on this lifeboat, mm-hmm. and you gave it away. 
and you're saying that you care about other people, you don't love yourself. Mm -hmm. And that triggered <laughs> the biggest cry I've ever had in my entire life. Wow. And I bawled in front of a room full of strangers. Like, I didn't even cry like this when my parents passed away. The last time I had cried almost like that was when my grandfather died in 1988. Mm. I was really close with him. Um, but that cry allowed me to surrender to my higher power. Mm -hmm. That cry and that release allowed me to start healing and to start understanding what was going on and what, you know, in my addiction. Don Coyus at the Multiple Pathways of Recovery Conference in Colorado recently said that he was taught that tears are a form of prayer. Okay. And that was a really powerful thought for me because I cry a lot. You pray a lot. I pray a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that's a powerful story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's a turning point for you. Yeah, it was a huge turning point. And the being in rehab, like I, I got caught up in a couple little things of, you know, like one guy's trying to hide drugs and he's like, hey, you know, do you mind hiding this stuff for me? Because I know they're going to search my room. And I'm like, Dude, no, I'm 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 here for me. Like you, you got to deal with your own stuff. Um, I just I can't get involved in that. Um, and then there were some other little things, you know, Good when you boundaries, get boundaries, you yeah, demonstrated that. definitely. <laughs> um, and then uh, one of the other caregivers that was there was like working. It was like having your grandmother watch you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and her her name's Nancy. Um, Nancy, it, you know, she would have to clean up at the end of the night kind of you know and so you know how it is at rehab like people just sometimes they leave a mess and don't pick up after themselves just like out in the real world like our kids like our kids exactly mm -hmm. um and so i just started it, i wasn't looking for anything i just started cleaning up and, and picking up for her mm -hmm. and i started taking out the trash just to do something to be of service mm -hmm. um and in in that you know i was doing a lot of praying i did bring a bible with me um, and I was blessed to have a clinician that was also a believer, Mona Lisa. Um, and so I was just, I was working the process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I had to take a lot of anger from my wife um, with the phone calls and such. Um, she had a right to be mad. Mm -hmm. She had every right to be upset. Her feelings are, you know, very valid. Um, and I wanted to just die. <laughs> you know, not that I had a plan to hurt myself or whatever. It was just, it was, I couldn't believe that I had done all this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it was, um, you know, there was some back and forth about, you know, oh, I want you back for Christmas. You've never been away for Christmas, never been away for New Year's. And, you know, I just prayed on it. And, you know, I told my counselor or my clinician, I said, hey, you know, I really kind of want to go home for Christmas. She's like, no, you need to stay. You know, and then I went back and read more, you know, of my Bible. And I was like, yep. I need to stay. I need to stay for the whole thing. Um, so I got out of rehab, and I had lost the number for Dominic, my C-car coach. And guess who calls me? <laughs> so that started that relationship. Um, that's, started really, that's really a great point that, you know, when we've hired coaches, that they came up with that protocol, you know, that we would call people and stay in touch with them. Mm -hmm. It's not just like, 
get you to Rhode Island and in your rehab, but no, let's stick with you because we know you're coming back and mm-hmm. you might need some support. So well, I absolutely that's a heartwarming did. story to hear. That's yeah. cool. Man, I absolutely needed the support because mm-hmm. I didn't know. Again, I didn't know what I didn't know about recovery, mm-hmm. you know, and even now I know I still have a lot to learn. Um, but getting out of rehab, starting to go to church, really having a better relationship with my higher power led me to get baptized February 16th of 2020. Mm-hmm. And then a month later, the world shuts down. Mm-hmm. COVID. Yeah. So I'm fresh out of rehab, fresh into recovery, and nothing. Right. So my lifeline was Dominic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he kept in contact with me quite often. Um, and I wasn't a Zoom person. Like, I wasn't a computer person. I didn't know how to do this. And, you know, no meetings are available. The only meeting I did get to go to, um, it was just, it was, it was horrible for me. It was, everybody was in there was just like, oh, we're nothing but alcoholics. We're not ever going to be any different. Very just negative. And I'm like, wait a minute. The, this can't be how it is. Really? Like, are you kidding me? Because that's not how it was in rehab with the commitments we had. So why is it like this? Um, and I didn't know that, you know, you need to go to different meetings to kind of figure out where you fit in. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't because COVID shut down and everything. Mm-hmm. So then uh, Dominic got transferred to the Department of Correction, CCAR's Department of Correction program, and uh, he put me in contact with Dimitri uh, Bacus. Mm-hmm. So he's my coach also, mm-hmm. who for the, unfortunately, for the first time I ever met him was at the funeral <laughs> yeah. in, uh, in Vernon. Um, but it was nice to see him because mm-hmm. uh, we hadn't been able to make contact because he's all the way over in Shelton, mm-hmm. um, at least face to face anyway. Um, so I just kind of did my thing. Like I was, I was doing odd jobs to, you know, I, oh, I got fired from my job, um, because of the DUI. Uh, they let me go March mm-hmm. of 2020. Um, so yeah, COVID losing my job, <laughs> you know, um, and I didn't have a, a job job until October of 2021. And I got hired as the, uh, one of the elves at Santa's Wonderland at Cabela's. Did you? Yeah, I did. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was actually a big thing because uh, due to my organizational skills, I think things that you know went fairly smooth with running that, um, and I was, you know, they would call me Papa Elf or you know, <laughs> so it was, it was funny. You know, most of the guys there were younger and ladies were younger than me, um, but it was a good experience. It was, um, you know, you're doing something that. Is making people happy. Yeah. Like even if they're stressed out, like oh we're running late, and like oh, don't worry, it's okay, we'll fit you in, not a big deal. You know, we had squeaky toys for the kids and the dogs to you know get their attention. Um, people brought dogs in. Um, a couple brought three ducks in. Which one? Which Cabela's? Uh, the one over here in uh, East you, Hartford. Really? Mm-hmm. I might have run into you. You might have seen me there. <laughs> might have seen me there. Might not have recognized you. Um, well, you know, <laughs> with the hat, the apron, and you know, but. Uh, <laughs> So, but that was, um, it was, it was, you know, a good time. It really was. Like I wasn't, I was making less than half what I was making prior to oh, that, yeah. of course, but um, at least it was something, mm-hmm. you know, and throughout the process, again, talking to Dominic, talking to Dimitri, they had um, asked me like, hey, you ever think about being a recovery coach? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, no. However, 
And so, you know, they kind of coach that kind of coached me. They did coach me mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to apply. Um, and again, I thought the emergency department was going to be my, where I was going to fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually very grateful that I'm, I'm not, you know, God bless the people that do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a good change for me to be doing something else. Mm. I mean, I'm still helping people, but it was it's a different environment. And I don't feel, you know, like I don't have to worry about people hitting me in their cars. I don't have to worry about pedestrians running in front of the ambulance. <laughs> you know, there's like it's just it's not I don't have that level of stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I'm not stressed at my job at all, really. Um, you must not spend a lot of time with Phil. <laughs> oh, wow. That's true. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Um, getting him back for that. Dad well, actually, at my. I, I, uh, well, and I'm actually kind of an island as a coach because I'm in the prisons four and a half days mm-hmm. um, in that respect. So I don't get a lot of interaction with the other coaches, mm-hmm. but I do make you know phone calls and I meet with Brian weekly. Um, so it's I'm not alone. And that's the other thing, too. Like I now I can talk to people. Yeah. Now I can share my story and mm-hmm. I'm not being judged for it. Now, some people did, do you have any prison experience did you ever serve time uh for about no i love the way you phrase it so for about three hours so for about three hours um when i was 12 i think it was i think it was 12. okay so you answered the question so no (laughs) not really well there's some people that think (laughs) that in order to coach in the department of corrections you needed to have been a client of the department Department of corrections at one time what is your experience? How do you feel you're effective? I, I firmly believe I'm effective right. um, because I, I'm I have addiction issues, I, right. you know, and I could very easily have been incarcerated, especially for what you know I did with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, by God's grace, that's just not what happened. Um, and I just I talked to the guys and I just let them know, like, hey, you know, you're more than the sum of your past mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you've done, it's your past. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why the rear view mirror is so small. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what you do now, you know, and you don't have to be alone. Yeah. You really don't have to be alone. None of us have to be. And we're not meant to be anyway. You know, so I tell these guys, like, listen, when you get out there, if you want to be in recovery, you can be in recovery from the minute you wake up in the morning to the moment your head hits the pillow at night. There's so many different events, so many different organizations, so many different things out there that, again, I don't know all the answers, but I know that, you know, one of the other coaches knows the answer. Mm -hmm. Or if they don't know, somebody else knows. Um, And I just I give them hope. You know, they can change. You can be different. And and I give them stories of like our volunteer manager at Manchester, Josh. Mm -hmm. I tell them the success stories. You know, like you have Josh, he's, you know, he's out there doing it. He got hired as a coach Mm -hmm. and he's in the, you know, he's in a position that is very highly respected, you know, and he's the volunteer manager. Yeah. You know, other people that have taken the RCA, the Recovery Coach Academy, you know, one guy was telling me a story about uh, guys in a halfway house. They found out he did the uh, academy and they hired him on as house manager. Yeah. You know, so I tell these guys, like, listen, if you want to do stuff and then you don't even have to be a coach, but if you want to be involved in recovery, you know, I tell them about the ocean cleanup. I tell them about Phoenix, Mm -hmm. Um, Kelvin Young. um, I just did sound healing with him on Wednesday again. 
Um, there's just so many things out there. If you want to be in recovery, you can be. I'm super pleased that you're part of the team. So congratulations. I know when the day you started, I told you I believe in you. Yes. Now more so than ever after I've heard your story. Everything you thought that were liabilities, right, are part of your resume. Yeah. And I can see you're a gifted, skilled communicator. Just continue what you're doing and it'll work out. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for that. Thank you for coming in and uh, being vulnerable and sharing your story. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I do appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Recovery Matters podcast. We hope that you have connected in some way with what you've heard. For more information, you can find us on the web at ccar.us. Like and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at ccar, the number four, recovery. And on Instagram at Recovery Matters Podcast. And you can use the hashtag RecoveryFirst to show support for our mission. Have questions, comments, feedback? Email us at podcast at ccar.us. Fire feeds fire. So if yours is burning right now, reach out and share it with someone.